Hey, I'm Roberta Blevins, and this is Life After MLM, a podcast where we worked and the stigma of failure in an industry systemically designed for you to fail. Join us as we dive into the real life stories of survivors, experts, and advocates to debunk the common myths and fallacies of cults, scams, and multi-level marketing. Hey, Hunbots and Hunbros. It's been a while since we had a Lula Bitch episode, but I'm bringing you one today. You have been asking for this episode for such a long time, and we finally made it happen. So I'm really excited for you to get to meet Courtney the way that I know her. It is a really funny episode. We laugh a ton. I will let you know there is a trigger warning. We do talk a bit about cancer. I know it's triggering for me, so I just wanted to let you all know that that is a topic in this episode. I also want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon members. Welcome Rachel Strayhall and Amy. I really appreciate the support over on the Patreon. And speaking of the Patreon, we have a new episode of Hunberta, so make sure you go and check that out. I also want to say thank you to everybody who has purchased merch. I've been getting photos of everything coming in. And I'm so excited. I'm, it's just, it's really humbling and it's really awesome. And so I wanted to say thank you to everybody who has supported that as well. And last but not least, I want to say happy birthday to Nicole, who I think is probably the person who is the most excited about this episode. So I hope you have a great 40th and I hope you enjoy this episode. I'll see you guys next week. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. You guys have been asking for a really long time, and there was just some things which we're going to learn about today, why it didn't happen until now, but it's happening now, and I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Courtney Harwood. Hi, Courtney. Hello. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's like when you popped up on the video, I was like, (gasps) My friend, I haven't talked to you in so long. I've been keeping up on social media. You know, we follow along with each other, but we all have our own lives. So I know what's going on in your life, but we haven't talked like face to face in such a long time. So it's really good to see you. I know it's such a long time, but then again, it feels like yesterday. I know, right? (laughs) And maybe it's because we're uh, getting older and time just flies, but it just, it seems like just yesterday at the same time. And we're also trauma bonded. So (laughs) So for anybody who doesn't recognize Courtney's name or iconic voice, Courtney was in Lula Rich with me. And you guys ask all the time for her story. We did Lula Bitch episodes with a lot of people and we didn't get around to Courtney. She's been going through some things. Like I said, we're going to get into all of that. But she is here now. I am. I am just so excited. Courtney, let's start with LuLaRoe because we haven't done a LuLaRoe episode in so long. We're going to do our best if we get into LuLaRoe lingo to stop and say, oh, that's what this means or that's what that means. But I talk about LuLaRoe enough, I think sometimes when people are explaining things that I think most people and because of LuLaRich and the other docs, I think most people have a pretty good understanding, but we will try not to get into too much Lula speak (laughs) while we tell these stories. (laughs) Okay, so when did you join LuLaRoe? It was March of 2015, and there were, okay, numbers are my thing, but remembering all these numbers now is a little bit tough. There was maybe 1,200 
consultants when I joined in March of 2015. Oh my gosh. So it was very, very new. Yeah. I joined a year after that, almost exactly. And then when did you leave LuLaRoe? I left in October of 2017. So I did a good two and a half years. Wow. I feel like yeah. that's prison or something. I'm like, yeah, I did two and a half years, got out finally. <laughs> Was left on my own, didn't know really what to do back in this real world, you know? Right. Yeah. So let's go back to the early days of LuLaRoe in 2015 when you first heard about it and you decided to join. We see everything in the documentary and, and what we see on social media now, but in those early days of LuLaRoe, it was a lot different. Can you explain what it was like back then? Yes. So a friend from high school actually, I guess, kind of got me into it, but I'm one of those people that makes their own decisions. I'm going to do what I want. And this is good because this podcast gives me the chance because I read all the, you know, the things that are out there, the comments on Reddit and you know, it's taken me a long time to even talk to you because I internalize a lot and I've been through a lot of therapy. So hopefully doing this is going to um, help me also and clear up some, you know, misconceptions. So when I started LuLaRoe, I had an online party with a high school friend, and that's definitely in finger quotes there. I was not a fan of MLMs and I didn't even really realize that it was an MLM. She was like, well, I'll host a house party. You invite all your friends. I'll bring the clothes. And I was like, no. I was like, that sounds like Scentsy or, you know, paparazzi. No, 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 no. I was working in corporate America at the time. I had Jackson. Um, how old was Jackson then? And then I had the twins. They were all under like the age of, I don't know, like seven. So I had three young kids. And I was just like, that gave me the heebie-jeebies, that in-home party thing. I was like, you can do it on Facebook and you can set up albums. And she was like, huh? And I was like, basically talked her into having an online party for me and telling her how to do it because they <laughs> were not really a thing back then. But I was like, this is the only way I'm going to do it. Before that, I had bought a couple of clothes and I started wearing them to work. And people were like, oh my God, I love that. I love that. So then I said, hey, I'm going to have this online boutique sale. And you can just join in and buy whatever you want. Sizing is really easy. Made in the U.S. I felt like it was such good selling points, especially with the made in the U.S. And it fits all sizes, flattering, you know. So we did the party. I say we because I feel like I did 90% of the work because she was not versed in social media or social selling. And afterwards, she showed me her profits. And I want to say it was a couple thousand dollars off my party. Because I had a pretty big network, it ended up being a, a decent party. So afterwards, she showed me her profits. I got tons of free items, too, from that. Probably a couple days later, she was like, you know, you should sell this. There's no one east of I-95 in North Carolina that sells. There's really only, like, no one in North Carolina except me and maybe two other people that sell. And I was like, all right, well, what do you have to do? She's like, well, it is about a $5,000 startup. And I was like, uh, do what? Like, um, I just don't have that laying, you know, in the drawer in the kitchen. What's going on? Me and my husband, we made decent money, but we had a lot of debt, a lot of debt from NICU bills, from credit cards, you know, just things like everyday life. And so I really didn't have $5,000 laying around. Long story short, I went to the credit union and after my, my then husband told me no, and I ended up getting a loan and I signed up. He was not happy until about two weeks later, a week later, 
like literally within a week, I got my boxes because it was so quick. It was super quick. Wow. And they all came and they were labeled and they had the most beautiful prints and solids. And I was like, wonderful. So happy. And I did an online party myself on Facebook and invited people from work and my friends. That party alone, I want to say, sold over 200 pieces. So my profits off of that were three, 4,000. Oh my God. Mind you, I didn't have a team. I had just started selling and that was my profits. Okay. That was minus wholesale cost of the clothes, minus hangers I had bought and things like that. That was profit. So he immediately, I mean, I, that night when I closed it out, I showed him, he was like, I hope you pack. I hope you do whatever. He's like, this is unbelievable. I was like, I know. And now three other people want to do these online parties. And I try not to make it sound too MLM-y because I didn't have a team. I didn't like that concept anyway. So it just kind of spiraled from there. I didn't have to ask people to host these online parties at all. I had people asking me. From that obviously comes people asking you, how do I sign up? I mean, it really was a blessing then because I was making such good money with profit, slowly building a team per se and seeing those bonus checks start to come in. I mean, my first bonus check, I want to say was like $179, but I didn't even care. I was like, I'm making so much money selling these clothes. You know, I wasn't even thinking to build a team. It just, mine happened organically. I was never that pushy salesperson because I don't like that. Therefore, I didn't want to exude that too. So that was 2015. And in August, September of that same year, I became trainer, which, what was that? 15 people underneath you? 10. You had to have a total of at least 10, but three of them had to be personally sponsored underneath you. Right. So I didn't even know about all those like different legs and I didn't even know about that. So organically, again, I became trainer. And my bonus check was a couple thousand dollars. Top that with my sales, which my sales were phenomenal. And I was making way more than I was in corporate America. And so that's when Deanne reached out to me and was like, you should quit your job and do this full time. Oh, wow. Really? It was Deanne that suggested that? Yeah. Because in that (laughs) moment, like a month after I joined, it was in April. She actually came to Raleigh, which is about an hour west of me, and it's where I'm originally from, and had a dinner, and people came from Virginia, South Carolina, and there was like, I don't know, 30 of us. They treated us to dinner, and then we had like this training the next day for a couple hours. She knew all our names, because back then, I mean, there was Kenny, there was Jordan, they were all there. They could know your names, right? because there were so few of us, and she actually was the one that said to me, she came up, she's like, oh my God, you're the Facebook seller person. That's how she says things. You know, you're the Facebook seller person. She's like, this is in-home parties. She's like, but this is going to blow up. I was like, I know it already has. That's kind of how she started reaching out to me. She was friends with my sponsor friend through LuLaRoe. They didn't know each other before. And so then she got my number and started texting and calling me. So, Wow. How long did it take you to hit coach from trainer? And a coach is someone that has three trainers underneath them all in separate lines. How long did it take you to hit that level? It took me until I think January of the next year. So about four or five months after I hit trainer, I hit coach. I mean, it just exploded. So like right around, right around the Mario Lopez time. Yeah. Well, before that. Yeah. Before that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was right before I joined. Right. So. Wow. It was before I'd even been there a year. Wow. 
That's so I was a coach in less than a year. And that just goes to show the growth. Yeah. I had people coming to me, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. And it was like, when I told them how much it was to start, I mean, you have those people that are like, I can't do it. Now I did tell them my story and how I did do it. And then, you know, I, I would tell them, Hey, you can go take out a credit card. But I mean, who else isn't going to tell them that? Right. I really felt in my heart that this was changing my life and it could do the same for others. Like I said, not a fan of MLMC or not a fan of that cheesy, you know, come have a party, get free stuff. You're beautiful. Okay, hon. Not me. Right. So I really, my intentions were very good. I wanted to, you know, make everyone else's life better because my life was getting better and the clothes were made in the USA for those first couple of months. That was really a big selling point. Right. So I have a question and it's also Mm -hmm. sort of a misconception. I think that most people who watch not only the Vice documentary, but Lula Rich come to this conclusion that you were just like so frivolous with Mm -hmm. your money and how could she lose everything? And we'll talk about that later. But the thing that nobody knows is where you started right. before you made all the money in LuLaRoe. So can you tell us, you already mentioned a little bit about having NICU debt and medical debt and student loans. So can you tell us how much debt you and your ex-husband were in when you joined LuLaRoe? Oh, um, probably between fifty-five and 70000 maybe higher than that. I really, all the numbers run together because there's so many numbers that I've gone through. It was high. And now if you count like my house and cars in there, it's even higher than that because we both had car payments. But this is just the debt that was sitting on credit cards and hospital bills for the main part. That was that debt. So yeah, you see all this money coming in, but I was paying off stuff. I was so proud. Student loans was another one. Both me and my ex-husband had student loans. So yeah, everybody's like, oh, she went and had all this money and she spent it all. Well, in the beginning, I really spent it all on paying off debt. Right. And I think most people that listen to the show understand that it takes a lot of money to make a lot of money in an MLM. Yes. That you're not bringing in these big, huge checks for nothing. Like you're spending a good chunk of that check to get that check. Right. Oh, absolutely. And there's all these different things like the supplies that go into it. I had a virtual assistant at that time because I had gotten so large, I couldn't handle it on my own. I was paying her. I think I was paying her more than I was making in corporate America, like, because she was doing a really good job for me at that time. So, and then not only did I have a virtual, I was paying someone to help me pack because my ex-husband had gotten so big at that point, he was still working full time. He didn't have time to help me. So there's so many costs that go into it. And then I was paying off debt at the same time. Right making extra payments on my car payment and things like that. So I was trying to do the right thing. IRS, we owed the IRS money too. So I paid that off. Yeah. I know most people, and I really hope most, if not all of you, have seen Lula Rich by this point. And so you know the story of the rise and the fall of LuLaRoe. You know what happened. So we don't have to go into too many details about all of that. But let's go toward the end of your time in LuLaRoe. And let's talk about some of those red flags and how they started stacking up and sort of like what the final straw was for you. So the red flags really started probably less than a year into it. It was the largest. It was probably about the time you came on. When they went, first of all, from going from USA to being made in China, Guatemala, all those different places. And then the push to build your team, build your team, build your team, not sell, not sell, not sell. And I really like the selling. I like the interaction with people. But I did see where the money was coming from building a team, right? But like I said, I, I feel like I still did that pretty organically. I was invited or told 
to go out to California many, many times. My first ever coach's trip, I hit coach and there was a coach trip. It was the second ever coach's trip in LuLaRoe. Okay. So you got to think I was like number, I don't know, 15 or something to go on this coach's trip. My ex-husband did not go with me. Obviously someone had to stay home at that time and watch the kids. It just was not feasible. There was me and two other coaches that our husbands did not go. One was divorced already. She didn't have a husband and the other her husband was in the military so this was the start of my big red flag we had got all our room arrangements everything was paid for I got on the plane in RDU and I was changing planes in Tennessee to fly to Vegas because it was hosted right outside of Vegas and I got on the plane in Tennessee and my phone starts going off it was right before I got on the plane and it was Deanne and she was like oh my god oh my gosh Courtney blah 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 she was like oh we just noticed that your husband is not coming. And I was like, yeah, I just noticed he's not coming. We've been, this has been planned for like a couple months. That's why I'm sharing a room with this person. <laughs> How did you just figure this out? And she was like, well, this coach's trip is really for consultants and their husbands. So we can reschedule you to the next trip in December. He could come then. And I said, I just, I started crying. I just started crying and I was like, I am changing to get on the next flight. I'm in another state already. And I was like, and I don't know if he'll be ever be able to come then. Right. So I immediately called one of the other mentors that was coming. She was the one that was divorced and I called her and she's like, I just got the call too. <laughs> and she said, Deanne told me, well, you know, you're divorced, but we can move you to the next trip. And maybe that would be like good. And you could bring your ex-husband, maybe like a reconciliation kind of thing. What? Yeah. You probably know who that is. I'm sure I do. <laughs> I don't want to say names. And then the person I was rooming with, I called her and she was like, yeah, I just got the call too. Hers was military. So they said, oh, we can wait on military. We had to do it for another consultant before. So plus, you know, soon it probably won't even have to be in the military because you're making so much money. Like you can just retire from the military whenever you want to. Yeah, I mean, you can just quit. I'm good now. Thanks. Yes. I'm gonna, yeah, exactly. Oh so <laughs> all three of us and I'm crying. One, of, I think they're still in shock. One of them had already boarded their plane. One was still waiting. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. And Dean called me back and she was like, okay, okay, okay. Y'all just come fine. Just, just come. I mean, y'all are already on the way. I guess you can just come. I was like, oh, this makes me feel great. Can't wait to get there. <laughs> and I'd wait to get there. So I actually was coming a day early. I was staying in Las Vegas with another consultant and her boyfriend, and but she had told that um, Deanna was her husband because she already knew the behind the scenes stuff kind of. She had been in longer than me. So I went to Vegas, stayed the night with her and her boyfriend slash husband. And we like partied and everything like that. I really didn't know they were so against drinking then. So it was just me and her and her boyfriend slash husband. Got up the next day and we took, I think it was a transfer bus or something to the place outside of Vegas that we were staying, the resort per se. So hungover. And I got there and I walked in to check in and I saw the other two mentors standing there that didn't have their husbands with them. And we all went up to check in and the person's like, well, we don't have a room for you. We're like, see what? Oh, God. Uh, cool. And they're like, it looks like your room was canceled. I was like, 
You know, here I am. I'm like, it's like 99,000 degrees. I'm sweating. I'm probably emitting like, you know, martinis and Budweiser from the night before. And I'm just sitting in there like, you've got to be kidding me. And they're like, and the hotel is full. (laughs) One of the other consultants came up and they're like, well, she can stay in our room. I was like, oh, this is so nice. I get to sleep on the floor with someone else and their husband. This is awesome. And I was like, well, what about her and her, the other mentors? They're like, you can all bunk up. I was like, oh, my God, this is fresh. Not. So Justin, Deanne's son, finally comes running up. You know, he is there to save the day. <laughs> and somehow he ended up, I guess, saving the day. They found their room. We were crammed into said room. We take our stuff up to the room. We sit down and we get a call from Deanne. Hey, meet me at the pool, ladies. Get on your swimsuits. Oh, yeah. So we got in our swimsuits and I was like, thank God I need some water in this body. And I don't care if it's chemical in the pool or what, you know, and I can put on sunglasses and go out there. So we go and Deanne's sitting in the shallow end and we go and sit in the mirror. And she was like, ladies, we're like, "Mm -hmm." she was like, I just hate that this trip that your husbands are not with you. And I was like, (laughs) she just can't let it go. No, she can't. And I was just like, this is the biggest, like, I've already got a pounding headache. You've already made me cry. I've got a hangover. Like, I didn't even know what to say. And, and you know, I, I just speak it like it is usually. But this woman was writing my bonus checks at the same time. And I was like, I kept going, I'm so sorry. Why am I apologizing to you for my husband not being able to come, right? So I, I, I can't remember exactly how that ended up. She's like, okay, well, y'all go change because we're going to go. We're going to have bonus time and then we're going to go to dinner. Well, she didn't say it like that because she's not Southern. But in my mind, that's how it came out. <laughs> so she literally gave us like, I don't know, 20 minutes. And again, I'm still like trying to get the smell out of me from now a chlorine pool on top of it. So we're all dressed and we go stand in this conference room. And there was about, I would say, 15 to 20 consultants and their husbands and then the three of us. They get everybody to hold hands. And after they talk to us for a while, they're like, okay, we would like to go around the room and tell everybody what your last bonus check was. I remember this game. (laughs) And... Me and, I'll just call her S, and one of the other mentors that was divorced. We looked at each other like, do what? (laughs) So it was also introduce yourself and your husband. I said, people went around and one girl was like, my last bonus check was $79,000. And everybody was like, oh my God, it's wonderful. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the next person was like, Mom was 21,000. Everybody's like, oh my God, Chris. And you're thinking, okay, she just said hers is 79. Yours is 21 and you're trying to act. Then one girl, she was like, mom was 5,000. And of course we all had to be like, oh my God, 5,000. When she's standing next to said girl that just said 79,000, right? It got to me and I was like, hey, I'm Courtney and uh, my husband's not here. I think it's been talked about a lot already. I said, (laughs) but I'm rooming with them. And so they're my girlfriends or I said something like that for the and I said and my bonus check was twenty thousand dollars this month because that's what it was it was twenty thousand dollars so it was really right in the middle of all the other coaches mind you again I had probably been the newest coach too so I was making a lot more money than people that had been in a lot longer than me so that was my large red flag the rest of the trip 
I really just treated myself because I was like, basically just, you know, I, I smiled and put, you know, a smile on because these people wrote my bonus check, but I earned it. Right. It was just a, such a mind cluster, you know, at that point. So that was my first aha. Like, you don't care enough about us. You want this husband to come. What is going on here? Yeah. Well, they were really obsessed with you and your husband because you and your husband started going through a separation during your time in LuLaRoe. And do you want to tell that story about what Deanne told you you should do before dinner? Yeah. So we had not actually formally separated. He had not moved out of the house in North Carolina. You have to, once the spouse moves out of the house, that starts your separation period. And it has to do one year before you can even file for divorce. Wow. So we were still living in the same house. And I will have to say that we, I mean, we were having issues pre LuLaRoe and he, he hates when I tell this story because he's a very private person. So I try not to go too much into it, but LuLaRoe was definitely the catalyst to everything. And had it not been for LuLaRoe, do I think we could have probably worked it out? Yes. So when I hit mentor, Deanne called me and she said, get your husband on the phone She's like, we want you to come out to California, you and your husband. And I was thinking to myself, my God, California. Again, I felt like I was there every other week and I probably was. <laughs> and she goes, it's going to be you. It's going to be Kim and Doug Roylance. And it's going to, who was the other, the third couple? Oh God, what's her name? Um, she's still in Kelly and Troy Clark, right? <laughs> so it was the three of us. My former uplines. They were my, both of them were my uplines. Oh, press, that's press. So it was the mentors interview and supposedly this was all mentors had to do this. It was, you know, I didn't know this, but we were told to do it. So he takes off from work and we fly out to California. We probably argued the whole way there. We go in and we, first we got to go in the warehouse and pull our own clothes and stuff like that. So that was kind of fun. Not for him, for me. And then we went into this room and it was this long, like, board meeting table. <laughs> it was Deanne, her husband, Mark, the other owner, Justin, Kenny. I mean, you know, like the whole family, right? Then on the other side, it was me and my husband. Right. There was a box of tissues in the middle of the table and there was orders. So it was you and home office. Yeah. Wow. And it was like a panel interview. You see what I'm saying? Like there were so many of them across the table. Yeah. And then there was us. So they start asking questions about being a mentor and kind of my journey and, and things you would kind of expect and how I was going to, well, we see this issue with your team, but they're always going to find some issue. They can't be like, you're just perfect. Right. Right. So how do you want to solve this? Let us give you advice. Okay. I get that totally. And then they looked at me and they looked at my um, husband or ex-husband now, and they said, how is your marriage? And I just started, I reached over and pulled one of those Kleenexes out and started crying. Like, what do you do? Like, you know, I mean, I couldn't, I am not good at lying because either I laugh when I lie or I just, when I tell the truth, get boohoo sobby. So I'm just not good at lying. Okay. <laughs> and it was just, they said, well, he needs to quit his job. I think that would really join y'all together. You could become one. And really take this by storm. And I was thinking to myself, okay, huh? And I even said to them, I said, I'm proud of what he's done in his job because he does not have a college degree. He works for the company that I had previously worked for. He's worked his way up. 
in any other company, he cannot quit this company and go work somewhere else and make the money he's making without that degree. So I stuck up for him big time. And that was, I'm sure he was actually pretty proud of me for doing that. And I said, I just don't think that's what he wants to do. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I mean, he was, he's pretty like blunt and honest too. How awkward. So they kept pushing that and pushing that and pushing it. And then there was a knock on the door and they're like, oh my God, come in. Look, it's Kim and Doug Rowlands. They're like, sit down, sit down, sit next to Courtney and her husband. So then we get marriage counseling and advice from Kim and Doug Roylance, who both did LuLaRoe together and how much it strengthened their marriage. And da 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 That's so inappropriate. Like, it's just, why are you doing this? Yeah, in any other job out there, would that ever? That's like a trip to HR and then a trip out the door, yeah. right? Like, it just doesn't work like that. I, I can't even remember. I was just, I think I went through the whole box of clinics. I, I didn't know what to do, what to say, whatever. Well, we were going out to dinner afterwards. And so Deanne was like, Courtney. And I was like, yeah. My makeup was gone, you know. And um, I was like, we're going to go back to the hotel and change. And I'm going to reapply my makeup. And she goes, why don't you? And she kind of like pointed at my ex-husband. She goes, maybe please him. And I was like, What? And, but you don't say that you, I was just like, mm-hmm. like that was what, like what, what to the what, what, right. He heard it too. So we get back to the hotel and he sits on the bed. He's like, well, and I was like, he's like, oh, and I was like, well, nothing. No. Yeah. He goes, well, what are you going to tell her if she asks? And I said, to be sure she's not going to ask. <laughs> So we get in a cab and we take it to the restaurant. Well, you know, that lady asked at dinner. (laughs) At dinner with everybody at the table. Yeah, it was so magical. Head over to quince.com and grab yourself a little something something and support the show by supporting our sponsors. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and say hello to lightweight fabrics and classic styles. I have been taking advantage of the beautiful weather and getting outside for daily walks, and I cannot say enough good things about the Flow Knit High Rise Boyfriend Jogger from Quince. Seriously, running errands, doing school pickups, swinging by the farmer's market, or taking Jaja for a stroll around the lake, these bad boys are versatile. I love the deep pockets, the high waistband, and the internal hidden drawstring. They're quick drying, moisture wicking, antimicrobial, and the four-way stretch makes them so comfortable. They're made with 88% recycled polyester, and the Global Style Standard Certified Yarn dramatically lowers environmental impact by diverting landfill and ocean-bound plastic. Not to mention using recycled claims standard-approved dyeing, washing, and manufacturing processes with low water and eco-friendly dyes. They have become an absolute favorite, and you can save up to 59% off the high-end counterpart by shopping with Quince. Throw on a cotton modal scoop neck tee and some sneakers, and you've got a perfect effortless outfit. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com MLM for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash MLM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash MLM. Do you ever wonder how much of your personal data is out there on the internet just for anyone to find? I promise it's more than you think. 
Your name, contact info, social security number, home address, even information about your family members. It's all being compiled by data brokers and openly sold online. This can lead to a lot of problems, including identity theft, phishing attempts, harassment, and unwanted spam calls. But now you can protect your privacy with Delete Me. Signing up for the service is super easy. Just provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. They send you regular, personalized privacy reports showing what info they found, where they found it, and what they removed. I got my report, and I was floored with the results. Of the 105 data brokers they checked, 83 of them had my data. Delete Me then removed 173 listings of my personal data off the internet. And they make sure that it stays off too. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me at a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and use promo code MLM at checkout. The only way to get the 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash MLM and enter code MLM at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MLM code MLM. I think, and I don't remember what I said. I think I was so struck. I might've said, yes, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I just wanted the, right. it to stop it, to go away. So maybe I did say yes, even though it didn't happen. Right. And then I probably laughed in her face. Cause that's what I do. when I lie and I can't hold it. And then I laugh in her face. It just seems so strange to be so obsessed with your, I mean, you're not even technically an employee, but your employee's sex life to the point that you're offering the marriage counseling you're giving them sex advice. You're asking about it publicly after the fact. Like, it's so unbelievably inappropriate. I would feel awkward if my friend was acting that way. Right. Absolutely. Like, who could act that way? And you wouldn't be like, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. Stay out. It's none of your business what's happening. This is a private conversation. And this was after or during the point where she had said on some trips if you spend five minutes a day on your knees, your husband will let you buy whatever you want. Yeah. So she had already put it out there. Oh, yeah. But this was right in front of other people for me and for others to see. So now the red flags are like burning, firing red flags everywhere. We finished with that trip and we went home and I was just like, I felt nasty. I felt disgusting. And I was like, this is my job. Yeah. Uh, but the money was really good. I had quit my job. This is not. So what do you do? Right. I mean, you put all your eggs in the LuLaRoe basket. I did. That's what they wanted you to do. And the reason they want your husband's on board is because they want his eggs to be in the basket also so that y'all can't go anywhere. You're both tied to it then. And so you cannot leave. That's why the cult. You cannot leave. So what was the, the final straw? You were the first mentor to leave LuLaRoe. And that mentor is the highest rank. That was, uh, you had to have three coaches and three trainers on three separate lines minimum. So I don't know how many mentors there were in the company, but it was mm -hmm. the top rank. I think there's one more above it now, but it, at the time it was the top rank and you were the first one to leave. And it was like, I remember when people were like, Courtney left. I was like, oh my God, what? The pyramid is falling. The mentors are leaving. Like it was, it was this really like triumphant day of like, <gasps> Someone else is leaving that knows even more. 
what was the final straw? Well, I had almost 4,000 people on my team at that point. I had mentors under, I had mentors under me. Jesus. So then the bonus structure changed. Our checks dropped tremendously. We kept being told and told and told it was never going to change. Right. It did. It. We weren't prepared for it. Was I still making more money than I was in corporate America? Yes. But by that time, I had acquired a full-time assistant at my house. We couldn't afford to have those things or those luxuries anymore. To fly to and from California, to fly here, there, everywhere. Deanne calls you and says, I need you to speak in Detroit tomorrow morning. And I have to buy a plane ticket if it's first class is the only thing left. You don't have the money to do that anymore. So they want you to do the same exact thing with a tenth of the money. Right. They did the buyback, no buyback program. They told us mentors first and then announced it to the field like an hour later or something like that. And I really spoke up on that call when they did that. And I don't think people understand. They just think, oh, mentors, they're greedy. There were so many times that I would speak up and speak out and speak against. So many, and I still have everything. I've got texts to Art, to Kenny, to Justin, to Deanne. To all of them saying, this is not right. You know, this needs to be fixed. Not only with my bonus checks, because they were wrong every month. They wronged everybody on the bonus checks every month. Every month. Everybody in that company is owed money. Okay? Yeah. So I stuck up that buyback program that they said was never going to go away. That was helping people get out. And then it went away in like one night. And it made me look like a liar. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, she knew about this. No, we were literally told. And then it went away. So I, and I have a, like, I would give anything to anybody. And I just, my heart, my conscience, I couldn't do it. I can't remember if the Guatemala trip was before or after that point, but this was kind of all rolling together. Once you hit mentor, you got to go on the Guatemala trip. I was the second, that was the second trip ever to Guatemala too. And I was on that. And, and real quick. So the trip to Guatemala was to visit the factories and see where the, the textiles right. and all of the clothes were being made and to sort of be right. like, look at we're blessing all these lives in this other country with all of the things we're doing. But then also a sightseeing trip. Yes, it was both. And so we went down there. There was a, a bit of fiasco with husbands and again, but we got through that. My ex-husband did go. We went and saw the factory and I wasn't really keen on the the working conditions down there but I wasn't I didn't feel like it was a sweatshop per se either so I was kind of up and down on that but what really got me is when we got to Ponticello one of the towns and Jim was like oh my god let's go shopping of course go spend all your money because they wanted you to spend all your money so that you would depend on them the next month for your bonus check because you'd have no money so we got to the top of the street Cal Santander and I know that because I've gone out of Guatemala many times since, not for those reasons. But DM was like, oh my God, y'all have got to go here. And we were thinking, oh wow, jewelry, shoes. No, it said La Pharmacia. We're like, the pharmacy? We're going to get some Tylenol? If I get a headache or what? She was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. She goes, this is where you can get Xanax. You can get Oxycontin. You can get everything. She goes, with no prescriptions. And I can say this because it's absolutely true. I already knew that she was offering us Xanaxes when we were going to talk and speak in the States. I have prescriptions for prescription medicine. I never took any of her medications, but she was not prescribed to those. So one of the reasons she went to Guatemala was to get all the 
medications from La Pharmacia. I can corroborate the passing out of Xanax behind stage at events to keep speakers calm. I can corroborate that story. Yes. And it was not just me, many, many others. She walked out of that joint with a lot of shopping bags. I mean, a lot. And later, as we were going to the next town, Jordan, her son, they were all using it, the different meds. Now, I I can't say I did not see Justin using anything. But Jordan was standing at the top of the bus, and he was passing. It was either oxycodone or oxycotton out. At the front of the bus. And he was also drinking five-hour energy drinks, which I thought was totally weird. Because I was like, they don't drink coffee because of their religion. But they're doing five-hour energy drinks? Like, this is all just, I'm just very perplexed. I'm sitting all the way at the back of the bus with me and my husband. And all of a sudden, oh, I had fallen. That's what it was. I had fallen on a cobblestone street. Oh, right, your foot. Yes. Broke, fractured my foot. But they were like, oh, just go with it. Like, no medical treatment, nothing, right? So, we were going to the next town on the bus, and um, Jordan was like, Courtney, I got some, I can't, if it was oxycotton or codeine or whatever. He's like, here is something like 20 milligrams or whatever. And the guy in front of me, the mentor in front of me and her husband, he was a pharmacist. And he looked at me, he goes, what medications do you take? And I told him my prescription medications. He goes, do not take that. You don't say no. You don't say no. And that's very much cult-like. So Jordan goes to throw it all the way from the front of the bus to the back of the bus. I caught it. And when he turned away, I threw it under the seat and under the back of the seat. So that was my way of saying yes, but getting rid of it to be no. Oh, my God. Ah, Wow. While we were in Guatemala, also, we went to purchase these Wapil and Calfor bags that were unbelievable. They were made by artisans down there, hand-woven. She took us to one of the artisans' house. We got to pick out. We each were supposed to bring and spend at least three to $5,000 on these bags to take them back to our teammates to give out as gifts. You know the whole shebang. Well, while we were there, she's like, you can also get these rocks. She was like, they're Calfor rugs. And she would show us and he would come out and he'd be like, and open one and it would like roll down. They were huge, right? And I was like, they are pretty cool. I I, I liked them. So I was like, but how am I going to get that home on the plane? She goes, okay, everybody, this is what we'll do. You buy them. He will roll them up and we will take them back on the private jet with us because they flew their private jet down there. And then we'll get them back to America and then we'll ship them to you. Okay. So I bought one. Got the receipt from them because we I did get itemized receipts on everything because a lot of that was going to be tax write-offs because I was giving stuff away as gifts. We had a Guatemalan mentors text chat for all the people that had gone. We kept up with each other, you know, on the way back. Well, one girl got stuck in customs jail because Deanne told her not to claim anything. And so she listened to her and then they found all our Guatemalan stuff and, you know, just the usual, right? About... Four or five months later, maybe we're like, where are cow rugs? So we texted Deanne and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She acted like this was new to her and she had no recollection of this cow rug purchasing shipment being made. I don't know, like 30 cow rugs, right? Not just me, but everybody else. And they were all the plane with her. (laughs) So I ended up texting her husband and I was like, Mark. 
do you remember when? He was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk to Deanne. Right. Well, no shit. <laughs> he was going to talk to her, remind her that she said that and that they all flew home with her. And they were at headquarters waiting to be shipped out. Don't talk to her. She doesn't know anything. <laughs> so that was, that fiasco went on, God, till about, till I quit. I, I have a question because I know how this ends and it's hilarious, but did anybody get their cow rugs? So when I quit, I sent in like a resignation letter, like you would send in corporate America because I was trying to be as PC as possible. I just wanted to go. I wanted to go quietly. I wanted to rebuild my life or whatever. So in my resignation letter, I was very nice, polite. I was like, thank you for this opportunity. And I listed out all the things that were owed to me, my bonuses, my incorrect bonuses, just all these different things. And then I put my cow rug. <laughs> Look, I mean, I'd spent a couple hundred dollars on that sucker. I know it made it back to Cal Corona, California, and it was supposed to come to North Carolina. Next day, I got a cease and desist letter, FedEx, from their lawyers, Bill and Bob. Right? <laughs> Shout out to Bill. <laughs> so I opened it up. And of course, I was scared. I get this letter in the mail. I'm like, what did I do? I thought I quit the right way. What? Oh, my God. Where's my camera? How am I going to get this? The next day after that, I get another cease and desist letter. The same exact letter from Bill and Bob again. They're so, they can't even you know, match A to B to realize that they just paid all that money to overnight me another cease and desist letter. <laughs> so again, no bonuses, no cow rug. The other mentors were getting their cow rugs. Mind you, I was ousted. It was told to me afterwards, once some others left, people were told not to talk to me. I was different, different, different on Facebook. I mean, people that I had grown really close with don't talk to her yeah LuLaRoe girls are real mean when it comes to you leaving oh absolutely they're your best friends in the next day yes literally I'll always love you block <laughs> some of them didn't because they didn't realize I guess yet and so I saw them putting their cow rugs on their social media like just redid my living room <laughs> Where's my cow rug, you know? Well, <laughs> I think I know where at least maybe your cow rug is because when Deanne would go live <laughs> in the cabin in, where is it, Wyoming, Montana, wherever, Wyoming, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, entire, the entire cabin is decorated in cow rugs. They're everywhere. It was, God, there was this big table. There was one under it. I was like, this is my cow rug. That's my cow rug. That hurt my heart. Like, all I wanted, you know, was my money and my cow rug. And it became like, find Courtney's cow rug. Where's Courtney's cow rug? It became like a, you know, streaming hashtag on Facebook and other social media outlets. And that woman, she knew. I think she definitely. Oh, I think she knew about the cow rug. Absolutely. But it's like, this, the cow rug story is just like LuLaRoe lore. Like, it's just a story that if you were in in that group as LuLaRoe was just being exposed for everything. Like it was such a popular phrase that my, my daughter, Abby would be like, where's my dang cow rug. Like it was so funny. <laughs> I became known as cow rug Courtney. Like I mean, <laughs> that become known as this cow rug Courtney. And, 
everywhere and people would meet and they'd be like, did you get the cow hog? No. Didn't someone send you a cow rug from like Defective? Yeah, it was so sweet. So the Defective Facebook group that really got to the bottom of so much of this, I joined it after I left. I was always, you know, told not to be a fan of it, but I did join and I basically came in there and told my story to them and kind of was like, look, I'm sorry. I didn't know I was doing half this stuff, right? So I actually became, started to become friends with some of these people that, you know, hated Road. I was honest. That's all I did. And I saw the hate and I saw where it came from. So one day, it was probably like a year after I left, this cow rug shows up on my doorstep. Some of the girls had gone in together to purchase me a cow rug. Now, it was one uh, like from Ikea or something like that. So there was a defect in it. And they said something like, um, here's your defective cow rug from the defective group or whatever. And that meant so much to me. <laughs> I blasted that on social media. I was like, take that, Dean. I got my cow rug. If you want to borrow it, just let me know. We'll trade the out. But yeah, that was, it was so sweet too for those people that really they'd started to, to stand by me. And um, we became, who's close today, yeah. you know, trauma bond, which it's a real thing when you leave yeah. the cult. It really is. It absolutely is. It was, uh, we met after the fact. I didn't know you when I was in LuLaRoe. I wasn't on your team. I wasn't even like, in the same Venn diagram circle as you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I only knew you after the fact because you were leaving and I had left and was like, talk to me, like, let's do this. And I think that your friendship was so instrumental. You were with me through the Vice documentary. We did that together. That was super, super scary. Mm-hmm. And then when when Lula Rich, Corey and Bly reached out to me, they were like, we need to get Courtney, but like she won't respond. And I was like, oh, her, her Facebook got hacked and she doesn't answer her messages. I'll text her. I'll call her for you. And and you got, you know, you were in a part of Lula Rich and it was just such an incredible adventure like to do that with you. And I think that that's one thing that you and I like have that nobody else has is like working on that like that together yeah um and Lachey too actually Lachey is a part of that as well yeah yeah and but it was also I mean you were up there in the ranks too and it was the early exit from people that were making money from the husbands because I know there was uh Dean had some something about your husband um not if I remember correctly not being somewhere and so these are things that only we yeah know about and it sounds so crazy yet it's so true so true and I feel like sometimes the story you know I'll tell a LuLaRoe story and people are like but you forgot to talk about this and I'm like I feel like I could have an entire LuLaRoe only podcast and we wouldn't (laughs) there's so much there's so much some of these memories I think I suppress too right because it is so just the the mind f you go through is horrible yeah it horrible the ableism, the racism, just there were so many things. The tokenism, mm-hmm. they covered that in the rise and fall of LuLaRoe. I was like, thank God. I mean, they covered a little bit in Lula Rich as well. But I just, <laughs> you watch these documentaries and you're like, oh, yeah. And then it opens up all these other things where you're like, you forgot to talk about when they did that. And afterwards, you're like, oh, my God, why didn't I talk about this? But there's so many big stories that are out there that, like, that have not been told. Lula Rich, they could have had so many more oh I know you know what I mean episodes and just crazy stories crazy so many so many you can't make them up. and the thing is is that I'm glad that there is one person Art McCracken from home office 
I can't even. He was like it's supposed to be like the resident psychologist slash like COO slash everything, right? And I could not stand him. The only thing that I took away from him is he would always say, own your data, own your data. Oh, yeah. And so he told me that and I started owning it and keeping everything, every shysty thing they did mm-hmm. on my phone, backing it up, getting every email, every picture. So I could own my data when it came to, I knew someday it was going to implode and I was going to have to have that backup. And legally, I couldn't say a lot of these things if I didn't have the backup to it. Right. Thank you, Art. You know, you actually kind of taught me that because, well, I hadn't been keeping screenshots of things. I mean, I have video evidence (laughs) for days days. Like the things I said, and I was like, home office just said, and it's like that. But I didn't keep screenshots of things. And all the stuff that I get, all the groups and things I got taken out of, like I lost all of that. So I don't have that data, but learning your story and how you could back up your data from that moment on in my life, I have owned my data. I do have screenshots to protect myself from whatever I need to. North Carolina is a one record call state, meaning if I know I'm recording when I call you, I don't have to tell you. So guess what? Art, Dean, Mark, all y'all. (laughs) everything was recorded because again art said own your data so that's what i was doing thank you thank you for that lesson absolutely so let's talk about where you are now i get so many people that message me they say you have to do an episode with courtney i loved courtney where is she at i have questions like what's going on you know so talk to us about where you are now really everything that's kind of happened in the last almost two years with the documentary yeah so did the documentary. Those were some dark days following LuLaRoe. Um, the business that I was starting, Dean essentially paid off my supplier and it was just, it was a lot. And um, finally COVID hit and it was a little bit before COVID and I had to close that business selling the artisan made handbags um, that I had gotten into. Let's pause really quick because you, you just said it, but I just want to bring that up and we can talk about it for like a second. You had a company, like a, a store that you created after you left. You sold artisan handbags from the people that you had met when you were in Guatemala, when you visited in LuLaRoe. Yes. And Deanne got wind of this mm-hmm. and bought your entire supplier out. Actually, I went down there. Okay. And okay. some stuff and brought it back. Then I placed an order with him to make more things and he was going to ship it. So I spent about $10,000 on inventory that he was making and shipping. That's when she went down and paid, I don't know, I heard it was close to 100000 I think that's what he told me, to basically sell all of that inventory to her and never to sell to me again. Oh, my God. Never to sell to me again or she would never buy from him again. So essentially, he knew, okay, here's, she's, Courtney spent 25000 with me. Here comes Deanne. She's spending hundreds of thousands of dollars with me. I'm not going to, you know, sell to Courtney anymore. This woman's buying me out, basically. So that was definitely a roadblock and definitely more lost money. Isn't Deanne such a sweetheart? She is pre- She is lovely. Bless her heart. She's, she's great. I know. Bless her heart. So COVID hits. So, yeah. Your business mm-hmm. goes down. What happens mm-hmm. after that? So I started applying for jobs. I was like, I've got to get a job. At that point, I was 
fully separated. We actually had not signed the divorce papers and everything like that, but I had no money coming in. I was, you know, getting ready to be cut off of his health insurance and had to sell my home. I could not afford my mortgage. My, the two cars I had bought, SUVs I bought in LaRoe, I had to get rid of those. I basically had nothing, absolutely nothing. And so I started looking for jobs and I took this one job making like $12 an hour. Mind you, I have, I do have a college degree and I had about 12 years of corporate America experience behind me in varying roles and increasing roles of authority and management. And I mean, that was a big, that was a big blow. Here I am. And $12 an hour doesn't, it was not going to pay my rent, my car payment, and there was no health insurance. So um, my mom did help me out during that time. My mom was like my savior had it not been for her. I would, at one point, I contemplated going to the homeless shelter. It was that bad. And people are like, how did you waste all that money? Well, I've kind of told you up front what I did with some of the money. Then we were told to spend all our money. So I was doing that and buying these lavish things. Then I was flying everywhere. Then I was going to Guatemala losing money because Deanne was paying this guy off. So I was really in the hole and I owed all these creditors all this money. And I was like, I've got to file bankruptcy. It was, I took two jobs that were very low paying and didn't really have health insurance. And finally, one day I had applied to this company where I tried to buy for years. It's a really good company here in town, a very large global company too. And I got a call and that changed my world that the HR person that spoke with me was actually the HR person of my previous company. And she had gone over to this company. It, it it really like going back. I always said, I'll never go back into corporate America. I got hired on. I had health insurance. I was making as much a year or I am making as much a year now as I was making in like two months with LuLaRoe or even like less than that, like maybe a month, month and a half per year now. Wow. But the value and the, uh, I always said, they're always like, oh, it's so flexible. Make your own hours, right? I don't think I ever slept when I was in LuLaRoe because, you know, I was flying all around. I was taking calls. They were on Pacific time. And so DM was calling me at my time midnight, but it's not hers. I'm telling, I'm going here, going there. So it wasn't, you know, bring your family together and make your own hours. Now I'm in a structured environment. And I absolutely love the industry that I'm in, the job that I do. I leave and feel like I have a purpose. I thought clothes were supposed to change the world. No, the way I contribute and what I do at my company now really does change the world. I have a question real quick. Do you feel like your experience in LuLaRoe helped you appreciate going back into corporate America so that you enjoy it as much as you do now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember speaking one time in Detroit and or Indianapolis or something for LuLaRoe and you know speaking to this is so great and I left corporate America and I don't have someone telling me what to do or you can't go to your kids awards ceremony today and you know a lot of that was kind of fluffed up for that speech but you can (laughs) you just got to find the right company you know what I mean my boss in my department has never ever said no you can't go to your kids awards ceremony or you can't take off this time right that's really not how it is. If you get with a good company like I am with, believe me, there were a couple of years I didn't know where I was going or what I was doing. So you got to find that, but it is possible. The, the insurance I have is, is really good. And, and that really weighs in on the next thing that happens in my life. 
So, uh, you know, I did take multiple trips down to Guatemala after leaving LuLaRoe. It, it became my favorite place on earth. I just love the people. I met another artisan that Deanne used to purchase some from. He didn't like Deanne. Me and him are like besties. Okay. And there was another artisan, same thing. He, you know, so during that business, I started getting everything from them. And I just love the culture and the people and how hard they work and how I could contribute. So when I met my now husband, I told him, I was like, I really want to take you down to Guatemala. This was last July. So July of 2022. So we went down there and had our vacation. And the night before we left, well, it was a couple of days into it. I was like, my stomach does not feel good. People were like, oh, something you're eating or whatever. I was like, no, I've been here so many times. I know this is not like food poisoning. And I was getting cramps and having to go to the bathroom. There was a lot of bleeding and blood. And so they actually called in a doctor that came to your room. And he came into the room and he did an exam in the room. And he basically said, I think you, you may have hemorrhoids. You might have some GI issues. Um, now, there was a language barrier. And he said you need to go to the doctor as soon as you get back to the U.S., your doctor. So my, our plane, we had to change all our, we ended up staying an extra day because of what was going on with me. So when I got back to the U.S., somehow, someway, I was able to get an appointment with like my uh, GP within like a week. And they did a CT scan and x-rays. And it, it was just showing that I was like backed up. And they're like, it may be from the food you ate and it's your body's just not processing or whatever. Well, after like two weeks, it still wasn't getting better with everything they told me to do. And I've never really had GI issues in the past. I always said I can eat anything. Like I love hot foods and everything like that. Nothing affects me. So I was like, I think I need a colonoscopy. And thankfully they were pretty good. I have good insurance right now. Right. So my doctor really fought and advocated for me because I, the new screening age for colonoscopies is 45. They dropped the, the, the age from 50 to 45 because they are seeing the rise in colon cancer in younger adults. I was 42 last year. So it still had to be approved by insurance, which they did. I went in and my husband went with me and I was just thinking I was going to go in there. I don't know, pull something out or something stuck. <laughs> something stuck. <laughs> that's what I told him right before I went to sleep with the anesthesia and I was like look whatever you find just pull it out I don't care I don't care what you have to do I'm going to be asleep it's not going to hurt and I was like tell him. so I woke up from the anesthesia in the recovery room and the doctor comes in and he said there's no easy way to tell you this so I'm just going to tell you this you have colon cancer out of my anesthesia haze my husband was back there and I just couldn't what you're just like well, what what I'm 42 what this is not he was like does it run in your family I was like absolutely not you know cancer in general doesn't run in my family he goes well it's in your transverse colon which your transverse colon is at the top okay 
And then you have your ascending and your descending colon and then your rectum down at the bottom. So people think, you know, it's all like at the bottom. No, mine was at the top, which is the rarest form too, is transverse colon. He goes, this is what we're going to do. He's going, we're going to get you in to see the surgeon. We're going to go in. You're going to have a colon resection. We're going to take that sucker out. You're going to go on and you're going to have a good day. This was on a Friday. He goes, I'm going to send the tumor off to pathology. Now, usually you have to, it has to go through pathology to confirm that it is uh, malignant. But he had brought the surgeon in during my colonoscopy because he was so sure it was. The surgeon confirmed. He goes, we're 99% sure it is. They sent it off to pathology. It came back. But he, and then he was like, well, go home and try to have a good weekend. And I was like, I know. I was like, what am I going to do? Like go home, have some drinks, go shake my ass at the bar, you know, knowing that I've got one Gansa, right? So that weekend was the toughest. And I had my kids that weekend too. And I was like, I have to look at them and not tell them, you know, they were, the twins were eight at that time. And Jackson was 14 and I was crying. I was here. I was there. I just, I told Alan, I was like, please just handle them. Okay. I did call my ex-husband and tell him he was very, whatever I can do to help. And he, he was very helpful. I think he did take the kids for a day because I just couldn't fake it in front of him. So that was like the hardest. And then about a week later, I got in to see the surgeon. He told me everything that was going to happen. I was going to go. I was going to have the surgery. He was going to take out some of my intestines, remove the tumor. From there, they would take lymph nodes around the tumor and send them off to pathology to see if it had spread to the lymph nodes. However, before you go into surgery, you have to have a CT scan with contrast where they put the dye in you and it will light up if the cancer has already spread to other organs. Colon cancer normally spreads to the liver and the lungs first. That was scarier than any other thing I had had prior because you have that CT scan and you're thinking, oh my God, if it is spread, I am st- your stage four. Those that know the stages know... Just, just stage four is not, it's not where you want to be at all. They knew my anxiety, like my anxiety was having anxiety. And so my surgeon was so great. He had his um, PA call me like, cause again, it was on a Friday. I was like, I cannot go through a weekend again, not knowing. So he had his PA rush the scans because they had to be outsourced. Within an hour, I got a call. He said, we don't see spread. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> they said, for right now, we can rule like stage four. And that, they call it scanxiety that cancer patients go through. It's like every scan you have, you're worried, okay, what's going to you know, pop up? But I could like breathe. I remember crying like happy tears. And you think you have cancer, you're crying happy tears. But you are because there's so many different stages and phases you go through. And there's hurdles. So they planned my surgery. I went in, had the surgery. Holy cannoli. I've had a lot of surgeries. That was the toughest, toughest surgery I have ever had. I was in the hospital four or five days. They took three feet of my colon out and they told me, because I'm a special breed. They're like, you have a, what's called a redundant colon. You had extra feet of colon. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) They're like, so we were really aggressive. Usually we take it out 12 inches. We took 36 for you. And I was like... (laughs) Like, you had colon to spare. Don't even worry about it, Courtney. Yeah, you had colon. And I was like, they did that. I, I was recovering. But then you have them, they waited another two weeks for the lymph nodes to be sent off to pathology for them to test those to see if they have cancer in them. They took 31 of my lymph nodes out. And if even one comes back with cancer in it, that means you're stage three. 
it's not where you want to be either, really. But if they're at stage four, the lymphatics came back and they were clear. Like, holy moly, that was the next hurdle. Like, oh my God. So I was classified as stage two, stage 2A. And there's, for each stage, there's a 2A, 2B, 2C, 3A, 3B. And that's just where the tumor's attached to and, and things like that. So long story short, I mean, that was a really rough recovery for me. I was out of work. Um, it was back to kind of like the struggle bus. Thankfully, I had the insurance, but I was on short-term disability. So again, we're building a house and I'm like, how we can't save the money. We had to have so much money down to build this house. What are we going to do? I finally told my children because I thought we weren't going to be able to get the house. And I mean, I was going to take that blame on myself, you know, because mommy, this happened, you know, we can't do this, but before I told them, we did work out a way and we we were going to make it happen because you only live once. And once you get that diagnosis, you finally have a real sense of mortality. Everybody is going to die. That is guaranteed. However, once you get that diagnosis, you basically feel like you have an expiration date on you and you really think about it in a totally different way. And Speaking with all the people I know now that have cancer, they feel the same way. It's something I still think about every day, every day, every day, because I still am tested all the time. Once you have cancer, they say cancer never sleeps. Wow. I got two opinions on chemo and I opted not to do it because there was, in the end, there was only a 2% chance that it would not come back if I did do chemo or whatever. And with some other health issues I had, it just wasn't the right choice for me. So we're more proactive now with the scans. I get more scans than your average person. I also do DNA testing every three months, every four months to see if there's any circulating tumor DNA in me. That's a new test that's come out. So far, so good. Like, amazing. However, the rate of colon cancer in people in their 30s and 40s is, it's going up by, I cannot remember all the numbers, all these numbers, little row numbers and cancer numbers by like 700% in the past couple of years. Wow. And just in my town, and I have a friend that's in her thirties. She has two kids. She has it. And there is a guy, a friend of a friend here in town. He's 41, two kids. He has it. It's just the numbers are just out of this world. So I was like, you know, I really have been quiet since Little Road for the most part, but what can I do next? I can become an advocate and use my social media platform or what I have left of it to advocate, to tell people to go out there, get screened. If you have any issues, right, get screened. However, again, here's my husband. He's 47. He's never had a colonoscopy. And I was like, I can't advocate to go get your colonoscopy if you've never had one. He's like, but I don't have any issues. I'm like, again, I can't advocate if you don't get your colonoscopy. <laughs> because people are going to be like, oh, you're, so your husband's had one? And me be like, no, I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? So he did the prep, went and had the colonoscopy, literally like 25 minutes into it. They called me back to the recovery room. And I was like, that was really quick. So the doctor comes in and they're like, well, we couldn't finish the colonoscopy. And I'm thinking, uh, maybe he didn't do enough, good enough prep and cleanse or whatever. They're like, because he has a tumor so large that it's blocking us from getting to the other side of his intestines. Oh my God. My mouth just dropped like what? Two of us in the same household. His is in transverse colon too, which again is the rarest type. So here I am. That was March of this year going through this again. 
going through this and the mind and just everywhere, I think his diagnosis was harder than accepting mine because I knew all those hurdles he was going to have to go through. And you have to cross this one and this one and this one. And I was thinking, okay, he has to have CT scans, then surgery. And they were very upfront with me and with his. And they were saying his tumor so large. They did the CT scan with contrast. It did not show spread to major organs. So I was like, oh my God, woo. Hurdle one, right? But they said they did see some inflamed lymph nodes when they did the CT scan. So I'm thinking, preparing myself for stage three. He's going to have to go through chemo, radiation, all these treatments. He ends up having the surgery. They come out. He was actually, he had complications during the surgery. He was in there for about eight days before he got out. And it was like on the seventh day, his pathology from the lymph nodes came back. And we had the same surgeon. And the surgeon came in and he was like, I wanted you to be here, Courtney, for me to tell you this. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And he goes, no positive lymph nodes. And we were like, whoo, do what? So he is also classified as stage two. How wild is that, though? Yeah. They were stunned, too. They were they were like, his tumor had almost like perforated the colon wall, and it was so large. And we thought we saw these inflamed lymph nodes, but that's what it came back as. So we're speaking it and we're taking it, right? He is also going to be doing aggressive testing like I am. He just actually had his first blood draw post-surgery. He'll have a CT scan soon to to check. So yeah, that has been like absolutely crazy having to tell the kids again. You know, your your stepdad has cancer too. And mind you, my mother-in-law, Max's husband's mom, passed two years before me from colon cancer. Oh, my God. So when you tell the kids it's colon cancer, now she had colon cancer and then it did spread. And so I don't know if they actually were saying it, she died from colon cancer, but they knew she had colon cancer. And she was only 62, which is still young. Yeah. And it's a hard pill for them to swallow. And then to have it again and to see... Him go through the pain that I went through and him being out of work, he's actually still out of work. Okay, he just got his all clear to go back to work. So he's a teacher. He's actually, he's going to pick up summer school. So to get back in that working mode. And yeah, we're just going to be testing more often. Tell Alan I said hi. Roberta says, hey, Alan. Hey, Roberta. <laughs> he's so, he's been like the light of my life too. I mean, I met him almost in those darkest days and then poof, there he comes, you know. Yeah, I remember. I remember when you met him. Yeah, and it was things were going so well. It was like I had gotten a new job. I had, you know, met my boyfriend that I just love so much. And then I get colon cancer. Like, what? And then he gets colon cancer. What? So we were engaged before we found out about my colon cancer. So, you know, I wanted to plan a wedding, not a huge one like I had the first time, but, and then I was diagnosed. So then I was like, well, this year in 2023, we're going to have a wedding. And then he was diagnosed. So a week before his surgery, we decided, you know what? It's not about this wedding and all these people. It's about us. Yeah. So we went to the courthouse and um, my mom and my uncle were there as our witnesses. And we got married at the courthouse. And had I done that seven years ago, oh my God, no, I probably would have gotten married on a private jet, you know, and <laughs> we would have gone off into the sunset. But that was like the most special day for me ever was that I just was with the person I, I loved and they were going through these hurdles. You know, it's not about where you get married or how much money you spend. It's about the life you live together and the life you make. Absolutely. That makes me so happy for you. 
I like even in some of the darkest, most worst things, you still found like light and love and like pushed forward. And it just makes me so happy to hear that. It is. And I'm a realist. I'm going to tell you, Roberta, that there is not probably five minutes of any day that cancer doesn't run through my head. Okay. Once you have it, it just, you can't block it, you know, and you're not all clear until five years after your diagnosis and all the testing comes back clear for five years. So it's just so much. It really, there's depression. There's a lot of depression. There was depression from Lula Road. There was depression before. It's just all compounded. I mean, I do, you know, I'm on different medications and, you know, I had to go see a therapist following Lula Road to get like decultivized. And mind-wise, it's just a lot. It's a lot to take in, probably more so than the physical aspect of it. But during that time, also when I found out I had colon cancer, you can't pick up the phone and call everybody, you know, like Aunt Sally and Uncle Tim and all of them and tell them you have it. You know, I told my parents. So I put a post out on Facebook. Look, y'all, this is tough, but this is what I have, right? Do you know? I can guess. I started getting some DMs in my Facebook messages. And a lot of them were like, oh my God, what can we do? We'll do anything, this and that. And then I had two separate people from two separate companies reach out to me about their products and how they were sure that they could help me. No, don't do that. Stop doing that to people. I just announced I have cancer and you want to tell me your magical roots, you know, from Utah are going to cure everything? No, 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 no. I'm already anti-MLM. I've been pretty outspoken about that. Now you want to monetize and profit off of my cancer? I don't think I replied. I'd have to go back. I don't even think I replied to him. I just didn't even know what to say. I was so shocked. And I was, how, how can you stoop so low to do that? How? It is probably one of the most disgusting things that people can do when they decide to target you because of cancer or to sell their MLM because they have cancer. That's also pretty horrific as well. Cancer, like... My dad died from cancer, fuck cancer. It is a hard topic for me and I can't, like, it's really hard for me to forgive people. I'm I'm trying really hard. I know that I I try to lead with empathy, but cancer is still one of those triggering topics that like makes my eye twitch where I'm like, I might not be nice about this one, you know? Yeah. It was tough because some of these people are friends of friends and you don't, I just had so much trauma too from LuLaRoe from people turning on me and bad mouthing my name. Come to find out a couple of years later, they knew they probably shouldn't have been bad mouthing my name. I was just telling the truth, but you don't want to get in that cycle. And so that's where the trauma came back again, not just from the cancer, but from these people reaching out to me. I'm scared if I tell them to go screw themselves, you know, that they're going to go talk to so-and-so they're going to talk to so-and-so and then I'm not going to be liked. So it wasn't just that they're shilling their MLM, but they're bringing all that back to me. Just right. everything that goes through your mind. And I was like, I've got to go off social media. I, I can't deal with this. Ended up not going off social media because I felt like sharing my story 
And then obviously when he found out too, you know, using our platform for the good and people message me all the time now. And I'm not just saying that I went to get a colonoscopy because of you. Yeah. I don't care if it's because of me. I'm just glad you went to go get a colonoscopy. They found some polyps and removed them. Thank goodness. Because if they hadn't removed those polyps and you waited a couple more years, they would have turned into cancer. You know, so I didn't, but I still, so many of those MLMs out there, they make these claims about healing things and that this is what it's supposed to be and that it's heavy metal detoxing your system, but it's all natural. You know, they can't a lot of times make, well, they've gotten pressure not to make those claims that they can cure cancer, but they, they go around it, you know, and they speak around it, trying to speak to you because I wasn't MLM and you know, you too. You know that. <laughs> yeah, you see it coming. <laughs> this is BS, right? You get that message, you're like, oh, here it comes. Yeah, you see it coming. No, I know. I haven't talked to you in so long. I'm so sorry about you having cancer. Oh, my God. You know, this has been amazing for me. My aunt has cancer, and she did this. And I know from being in it, right, from being in an MLM, and I, I want to say sometimes it's probably, we were in the worst MLM probably out there from what was the things that were done to us that I have heard. But what about the unsuspecting person that is holding on to any kind of hope that has stage four cancer that wants to, you know, they're doing chemo, they're doing maybe some supplements and some alternative treatments. And then they have this person that comes to them and says, you've got to do this because so-and-so, you know, totally they were fine and it really helped, or this has been proven to do this. People cling to hope, especially in these darker days like that, you know, and you're going to do that. Like what kind of person are you? It's nasty. It's ugly. And you can go report them to their compliance, which are supposed to do their headquarters or whatever. And they do nothing. They do nothing about it. They usually look at the person. If they have a team, they're like, we're not going to let go of them. So, so that's the thing, right? You messaged me, it was like yesterday and you sent me a screenshot or a link to something, right? I forget what it was, but it was about, and we've talked about this person on the show before. She is a mega hun in prove it. She is currently battling colon cancer herself. And we don't have to say her name because I think you guys know who we're talking about. And it's not about her specifically. It's sort of about what's going on and talking to someone who is going through active fight with colon cancer herself and what you saw and what made you reach out to me about what you saw. The way that I found out that she had colon cancer, I saw someone's post that used to be in Prove It saying, oh, wow, they posted on Facebook. Did y'all just see the big news about Prove It? And that they were being sued because of the, the chemicals that they had found in their products. Right. And then I started reading the comments under it. And, oh my God, so glad I got out. I feel better now. And then they said, did you see so-and-so has cancer? There's four people at the top, tippy top that have cancer. One's already passed away. What? I didn't even know that. Is it all colon cancer or is it different kinds of cancer? I don't know. One of the people that they mentioned, I was like, oh, wow, I've heard that name before. And I was like, I've heard that name before because of, you know, the way she's so outspoken and the way she really pushes the product and pushes people, pushes people to the limit that it's very dangerous. And so I started kind of going down the rabbit hole because, you know, she has colon cancer. I feel horrible. You know, here I am. We're going through it. And I started reading things. She does have colon cancer. I'm not denying that at all. I saw pictures from her surgery. She lifted up where the scars are and 
just the, some of the terminology. I know a lot about colon cancer and the terminology. So yeah, that's definitely there. She said she's stage four. And then I kept just going through and she has not stopped working and pushing her products. And that was kind of ooh, to me, like she's the VP of the company now too, that this lawsuit came out about these dangerous things in your products. You have been diagnosed with this awful disease. You're getting more people flocking to you now. And I hate to even think this way. And I don't want to think this way. But is this a build your empire even more kind of thing? Not saying she does not have cancer. Not at all. And I hate what she's going through. But she said she has declined all conventional medicine. She had the surgery. She said she's stage four. But she says one of our hashtag is chemo. I know that she said chemo is for bitches is something she said recently. Chemo is for bitches. Why would you say that when there's so many people around our age battling this that are doing chemo? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And it's so nasty. You know what I mean? That's just horrible. Yeah. Horrible to everybody out there fighting. No matter if it's colon cancer, what kind of cancer it is. Chemo is for bitches. Not okay. Not okay. And she said she's going to beat it and it's going to be all natural. She is going to um, some other countries to get some treatments over there, she says, which is all natural, which I, I totally support. Other countries in some ways are more advanced than ours when it comes to colon cancer. But that and her prove it are going to be the route she goes and no conventional. So I'm thinking she said that the doctors here in America gave her till November and said she would not be alive come November if she did not do chemo. If she did do chemo, chemo would give her another two and a half years. Oh my God. So she has posted that publicly. I got some screenshots that literally today and I was like, Oh, we're talking about this today. And it was her doing a video and she's talking about, she's filling out like her estate planning and she's making her brother and his son, her beneficiary. But she's also saying in the same video, like, I don't feel like dying. Like I I don't want to die, but she's doing end of life care. She's finishing. She's tying up, and she's making her brother and her nephew her beneficiary to whatever it is that she has in assets. Like, it's heartbreaking. It's really heartbreaking. Right. And, and I hope she gets the help she needs because it's I, I watched my father disintegrate, really. And it's really hard to watch if you've seen it and, and to see to see how people progress when it's terminal. And it's it's really tough. It's really hard. And I it's I can't even go. I mean, I'm blocked, (laughs) but like when people send me things like it's hard for me to even watch it because I know hindsight, right? Like Mm -hmm. one, as someone who watched someone go through cancer and you as someone who went through and both of us on the other side of MLM, like I see both of those things being interwoven together and it's really concerning. I I don't know where this is going to go, you know, and I'm again, I'm not really like a call out account and I don't, I don't usually single people out like this, but Mm -hmm. I think she now is the VP of Prove It. Mm-hmm. She's traversed from Mega Hun to part of the C-suite, right? So it's a little different. And she has, she claims she's the number one network marketer in the world. She has a ton of influence. She built an empire, right? So she has a lot of influence and it, it is very concerning. And I really hope that she does, if she is able to be successful in her treatments, that she's not giving the credit to prove it because that seems pretty detrimental to me. 
at the end of these conversations, I have questions and I actually have Lula Rich specific questions for when I did this, when the, when the doc first came out. So we're going to go with those. So Courtney, tell me one word that encompasses how you feel about Lula Roe. Lula, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the odd, like, word. I don't, Lula math. <laughs> Actually, I was the one that came up with that Lula math word. And I wish I would have trademarked it or did whatever you have to do. Because people started using that word all the time after me. Because I was the one that's like, these people can't even add. They can't even get us, they put our bonuses together on a Google Doc and a spread. They can't even do anything. And I was like, it's freaking Lula math. If you go back to one of my first like Facebook lives I did, I was the one that said it. But anyway. <laughs> I'll, I, I we'll make sure that you get the credit for Lula math from here on out. Well, thank you. Yeah. But uh, no, other words that come <laughs> to me. Oh, fake. Scam. You're good. Douche. <laughs> <laughs> What? Okay. So LuLaRoe, I know people, this is probably one of the most asked questions. Anytime I do a LuLaRoe video on TikTok is, is this company still around? And the answer is yes. And so for anybody who is thinking about joining LuLaRoe, <laughs> what warning would you give them? Uh, are you stupid? If you have any common sense, first of all, they have, they release a new style like every third day now. Right. And they sell to their consultants that wholesale cost. Oh my God, is what actually retail cost is. You're so dumb. You're so dumb. I have my wholesaler's license. I don't use it anymore, but I know how much those clothes are to purchase. <laughs> you are paying like 10 times. You are their customer. Yeah. It's not the in person. <laughs> and, you know, uh, no, you dumb dumb. Like this cardigan right here, they have a Sarah cardigan and they sell it for like 70 bucks. I got this off of like Zulu or something for ten ninety nine. That that's like you know what the wholesale in this cardigan is? It's about four bucks. Isn't it wild? Like once we left Lularoe and we started shopping in normal stores again, we were like, shirts are ten dollars. What? Cheaper than thirty five dollars? Yes. And and they're still the the lines don't match up and the patterns are awful and they're just churning this stuff out and a lot of it is from fabric leftover from other companies that couldn't sell it right so they, they, they had some like reject nasty gal fabric that they bought for super cheap and made dresses and skirts out of yeah yeah yes and the other thing is after you've heard and you've seen how could you be so dumb to take your money and do that and after especially if they've seen you if they've seen lula rich and they know that 99% of people lose money in MLMs. What thinks you're going to be the one percenter to get all this money? Oh, my God. What is your worst memory of LuLaRoe? <laughs> your eyes. Her eyes got so big. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I, I, Roberta, that's a really loaded question. I don't know. I would probably have to, <laughs> to think about that. There's so many like moments that I was like, are you stupid? And then there was moments like you know, the crying moment. And then there was, you know, worse. Oh God, Roberta. <laughs> Sorry. The coach's trip where, you know, they told me basically get on a plane and go home because you didn't have your husband here. It was pretty awful. The mentors trip in Guatemala where I broke my damn foot and they're like, just get on the bus and let's go. Here's some uh, meds. We picked up the law pharmacy. Uh, 
you know, it fixes everything was pretty a bad point. The Dalla for Down syndrome, where uh, I bid $7,000 and never got the winnings you know, from that because I wouldn't PayPal this lady that, you know, was collecting all the money. It, just weird. Oh, uh, God. I, the, the conventions. Oh, that's another thing we didn't talk about. The one where they ran out of food and it was like so hot. It was the fire festival on the beach. Yes. It was literally like there. I got there and I remember I was helping people that were like yeah. passing out. Oh, and the, I was helping the disabled line too. Oh yeah. Cause they made people like, they just put these beach walkways for the ADA people are in wheelchairs and on crutches and like trying to walk through sand. It was, it was so poorly planned. I sat there with them. I never even saw whoever was performing that night. I sat there with them. Okay. I sat there the whole time. And I remember actually Kim Roylance did too. And I, I do appreciate her for that. Not much else. Who was with me? It was one of my teammates at the time. I was like, do you mind going to get me something to eat? And this is when I figured out I didn't have anything. She came back and she's like, I got a piece of lettuce and a tomato. And I was like, yeah. what the heck? She's like, they're all out of food. I was like, yeah. we've been here for 45 minutes. What's going on? You know? So just... God, there's so many. Well, why I can't? I can't. And I think some of them I've surprised. You know what I mean? Like the calls where I get that Dan is screaming at me and, you know, that I'm not good enough. And I'm like, well, man, my team just sold $20 million. I'm not good enough for you. But at that point, it didn't really matter, you know. What is the hardest lesson that you learned while you were in LuLaRoe? I don't know if this is the hardest lesson or maybe some best lessons that I learned. Money is not everything I thought it was, believe me. Money does not cure anything. Money does not make a family happier. Money can actually do the opposite. It can tear people apart. Now, having zero money was very tough, too, when I went through that. And I lost time. Another thing is, is that I lost time with my children. Yeah. A, a lot of time. Uh, about two years of their life. And I lost. Um, and I'll never get that time back. And so I carry guilt, you know, I carry guilt, mom guilt. Oh, yeah. Um, and then you're an amazing mother. You know that, though. You're an amazing mother. And those children love you. You know, I, I call myself world's gayest mom <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm not the kind of mom that probably needs to stay home with my kids. But I am a cool mom. You are. I will say that. World's the case. <laughs> I wish they were here because they'd be like, yeah, my mom is cool. She's pretty good. But I like her. So God. Give me a positive takeaway from our nightmare of LuLaRoe. Uh, art saying, teaching me how to um, own your data, because I've kind of carried that into everything I, you know, do these days, even in my job now. When someone comes to me with a problem, I'm like, own your data and come to me with a solution. Then I'll give you my viewpoint. That may be small, but I really think it does help you in, in life. Now, let me tell you this, Art did not coined that phrase he got it from somebody so let's not give all the credit to him he just told it to me another positive thing is the friends that I met after I got out are the people that I'm still friends with yeah the people in there that I thought were friends absolutely aren't and it really teaches you how to see people read people and and learn to trust which has been very very tough for me those that went through it with me, I think we all have that that same that same issue is the trust. Yeah. 
I always know, like, if you call me, it's super important because like you and I will just text randomly or whatever. But if if I look at my phone and it says Courtney, I'm like, oh, I got to take this. It's something important. Uh, we've talked each other off enough ledges right. for me to know that if you're calling me on the phone, we got to talk. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, those dark, dark times. Oh yeah. When, yeah. I mean, you helped me through some things and I mean, I same and I, you know, uh, Roberta, there's times that I owe my life to like you and to, to Heather and to other people. There was some, a couple of dark, dark times. Yeah. So, you know, if good can come out of that, I see that there are good people in the world. Sometimes it takes seeing all the bad to realize that there is good. Heather is good people too. We love Heather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I love you so much. I know, girl. I love you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing the things that you didn't get to share in Lula Rich because they got cut out. Thank you for being so honest and uh, filling in those gaps. Oh, there's so many more gaps. And I'm sure more people are going to, you know, if you guys want to hear more from Courtney and you're like, but she didn't even talk about the Tijuana skinnies because we didn't. Yeah. Uh, let me know. And <laughs> she can come back. Yeah. Oh, God, there's so much. Thank you so much, Courtney. You are incredible and I love you. No problem at all. Thank you for doing what you do because I'm, there's been people and, you know, in my town, I want to tell you this is, so last year at work, there was this black tie event that we were invited to for um, the American Heart Association. And I really hadn't told, people know who I am in my town, right? Most, but this person, their husband traveled to my company about an hour every day. So he really didn't know who I was. Well, his wife came with him and we were up at the bar getting a drink and she goes, I know you. Oh, and I said, well, I don't know you. She goes, no, I've seen you somewhere. And I was like, <laughs> and then she looked at me. She goes, I said, girl, come on. We're going to go talk over here. Okay. <laughs> I said, yes, it's Lula Rich. She saw me. I said, no, we're not going to go shout it to the world everywhere. I said, um, I, I was just like, yeah, that's me. Am I proud of what I went through? No. And she goes, oh my God, do you know Roberta Blevins? <laughs> I was like, Roberta, I swear to you. I swear to you. That took a twist I didn't expect. And honestly, it, it was not about me anymore. There was no fame to I my apologize. game. Anymore. It's just... <laughs> She goes, can you invite her to like come here and stuff? And I was like, <laughs> you know, and there was no more asking about me. I was like, yes, I know her. And she was like, have you met her in person? I was like, <laughs> and she was not in the MLM either. She's a teacher. It's a very interesting reach that I have. It really, really is. I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> but it's you're famous. <laughs> you're famous. So you're doing good things. You're, you're doing good things. It's still always startling if anybody recognizes me. I had a couple, it was like a week. There was like one week where like three completely different people from three completely different walks of life recognized me. And I was like, mm -hmm. what is happening? <laughs> this is too many recognizes. This is too many in a week. <laughs> Once a month is more than enough for me. You know, and it, it, it's crazy too, because I was thinking, you know, now I'm known for cults and cancer. <laughs> Courtney, cults and cancer. That's what I'm known for awesome stuff thank you so much for listening to life after mlm don't forget to like subscribe and share and follow us on social media at life after mlm podcast 
and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, oh my God, I have a story just like that that needs to be told, hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans. Thank you.